This is a Tech Briefs Media Group podcast. Welcome to another Who's Who at NASA podcast. Today on the podcast, we have NASA Chief Technologist David Miller. David, thanks for being with us. Great to be here. So, David, to set the stage, what does the Chief Technologist do? Well, the Chief Technologist at NASA uh, does a number of things. Uh, uh, there's sort of six things I think about. We, uh, we, we advocate for technology investment at, at NASA. We, uh, I also uh, uh, work on, on prioritizing technology and, and what investments we ought to make. Uh, I engage with the external community and try to best understand what's happening uh, elsewhere outside of NASA in the world of technology. Uh, there's also a, um, a we're, we're sort of the lead at the agency for helping to set up challenges and prizes and, and engage the broader community. And probably the, the, the most fun part is I get to uh, advise the administrator, Mr. Charles, Charles Bolden. Mm-hmm. About all. First, how do you prioritize the various technology investments uh, across NASA? How does NASA determine which technology investment is most important? Well, you know, it all, it all starts with, uh, with making some tough decisions. First, we try to understand the landscape of what are, what are the uh, technologies we could invest in. And that's how we, we do that through our road mapping activity. And uh, we're developing, we're revising our roadmaps as we speak. Uh, then what we do is we go through a prioritization process. And then, obviously, uh, the, the budget season tells you what you can actually afford to do. And the way we think about it is the roadmaps are what we could do. The prioritization is what we should do, and the funding is what we will do. So in, in putting that together, we think about what are the needs of the various missions we want to want to do. So obviously, there's a lot of scientific missions uh, at NASA. There's also human exploration. Uh, there's, there's aeronautics. Uh, so we, we think about what technology do we need in order to support those missions, but we also have an important goal of helping to support the broader communities out there, the space, the commercial space sector, as well as the commercial aeronautics sector. So we try to think about what are the core technologies that have, that sort of lift all ships in that sense. And that's what we uh, prioritize. Now, are there any new uh, technology areas that are being prioritized this year compared to years previous? Well, there's another, there's a number of uh, exciting areas such as, uh, thinking about uh, solar electric propulsion, which is um, a way to very efficiently move cargo through space. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's important for sending pre-positioning cargo at Mars or uh, you know, actually controlling uh, the orbits of satellites in geosynchronous orbits. So it, it's one of those technologies that has a, has a very specific NASA benefit, but also uh, supports a lot, of, a lot of programs that are outside of NASA. Another area is laser comms. So in, you know, traditionally we have we have done telecommunications using uh, radio waves, but when you move up into the frequency of light, uh, you can get a lot more bandwidth, a lot more um, you know data rate. Uh, there's a lot of advantages to uh, to using laser communications. Uh, some interesting things recently on the LADI mission to the moon, uh, we were able to send back via laser uh, uh, you know large volumes of data very quickly. But you could also think of that as supporting global communications as well. Uh, third area, there's a lot of interesting technology investments, thinking about how we can reduce the carbon input to the atmosphere. One of the things about 
about commercial airliners. You know, they fly up in the stratosphere, and the carbon that is put out is is uh, sort of has a long latency time mm-hmm. uh, at that level. The uh, the uh, also some interest is low boom supersonics. You know, I I, I grew up in the, during the period when I remember going out in the backyard and hearing uh, sonic booms, but that has not been allowed over land for many decades now. And uh, you know, being able to come back to the year, being able to come back and start doing supersonic flight over the continent is a, is an interesting thought. But we really have to suppress the the sonic booms that that happen with that. And uh, there's technology in that area. Another one is highly efficient transports. Just you know, fuel is is getting more expensive, and if we can if we can uh, you know if we can fly with with, with less use of fuel, that's a uh, that's a dramatic benefit. There's also the idea of free flight, being able to fly directly from from your departure airport to your destination port airport, and make sure that it's done safely and that we avoid congestion and we do it efficiently as well. So there's a lot of very interesting technologies we're working with. And what kinds of partnerships are you forming with the commercial space and aeronautical um, industries? Well, um, some some examples that are probably pretty uh, pretty much in the news these days. Uh, there's our commercial cargo launch for the International Space Station. That's a case where we have two companies, uh, Orbital ATK and SpaceX, where uh, we pay for for delivery of cargo to station. And uh, uh, both companies have been serving serving uh, NASA very well. And the nice thing about the program is there are other markets. While they're helping with NASA, there are other markets that they can also capture, like satellite launches. Another area is a partnership with a commercial crew launch to space station. So we've uh, contracted with Boeing and with SpaceX to develop a commercial crew launch uh, so that we can start launching U.S. astronauts from U.S. soil on U.S. rockets. And uh, that should happen in, in about 20, in 2017. Why do you think it's so important for NASA to license technologies to industries? Well, I think uh, there's two basic reasons. Uh, one is licensing technology to aeronautics and space industries helps to make those industries stronger, uh, helps to get a dual use of the technology investment that NASA has made, and a stronger industry can help NASA in return. The uh, There's another sector, which is licensing technology to non Sort of aerospace sectors. Uh, there's a lot of different spin-offs that uh, that have happened over the years. In fact, uh, a lot of the smartphones use cameras that uh, that um, you know have been developed through uh, space technology investments. The um, but there's a number of, of different investments we make uh, that can be spun off to the to to the non aerospace sector. Uh, we actually have an annual publication called Spinoffs where you can read all about this. And you know, we NASA uh, operates on taxpayer dollars, and the benefit back to the taxpayer—it's uh, important to maximize that. And just to clarify, what does it mean for NASA to spin in and spin out technologies? Uh, spin in is an important concept that you know, when as we do our missions, they're 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 quite challenging, and therefore they're pretty expensive. We want to make sure that we don't duplicate efforts that are happening elsewhere. So. You know, if there are other industries or other government agencies uh, that are developing technology that we can use, then it's a great idea to leverage that. There's sort of a, a concept of lead, adapt, and follow. The idea that a technology 
might be only useful for NASA missions, so we probably have to leave that development. Another one is adapt. There are technologies out there being that other sectors are investing in. Can we adapt it for our purposes? And, and follow means we're just going to watch how it evolves elsewhere and buy it when it's ready. And so that way we can best allocate our, the precious resources. I think an interesting responsibility that you mentioned was that you are setting up challenges. Can you talk a bit about what kinds of challenges you're doing and what kinds of initiatives are being done uh, to involve the public in the technology process? Boy, there's a number of them. I would uh, encourage uh, your readers and listeners to go to NASA Solve. I'm not going to be able to list all of them, but what we have done is created a one-stop shopping portal for, for all those challenges. The, um, <clears throat> it's important that NASA's mission is not just NASA's mission. It's, it's really the mission of, of, of the citizens and the taxpayers, and really it's a worldwide mission in many respects. And so we want to make sure that we engage that, that broader community and, and bring them along for the ride as, as well as have them help us with our, with our missions. So the way we do that is we set up different ways of engaging the, the public. Um, there's these prizes and challenges. I'll give you some examples. Uh, the Asteroid Grand Challenge right now, we're running out of my office, it's, uh, is to get the community to help us think about how to, in essence, help defend the planet. So really everyone's in on that mission. <laughs> mm -hmm. uh, the, uh, and there's different ways you can get involved. You, know, you can uh, take a look at data sets that we make available. And try to find, uh, you know, try to find asteroids in the data set. It's like a, it's a vast amount of data, and we need extra eyes on it so that we can help to sort through it and find out all the asteroids we can find. Um, there's also, uh, we encourage people to help us think about what if we find one that's gonna, gonna hit us. You know, what can we do about it? And uh, that's where it's a very challenging problem. And uh, uh, you know, it's, it's, it's a, it's, we need a lot of people helping us think through that problem. Basically, we have one advantage over the dinosaurs. We can actually try to try to protect ourselves from the next big impact, and, we, and we'd like to engage the, uh, the public in helping us figure that out. Are you encouraged by the response? Are you getting a lot of creative uh, feedback? We are getting a lot of creative feedback, and we're getting them getting that feedback from a bunch of different uh, levels. You know, people that are scientists that work in other fields that have developed algorithms for identifying feature changes, which is you know, applicable to finding asteroids and data, but we're also finding, um, you know, citizen scientists and, and middle school kids that are also identifying asteroids. So it's everyone can participate, and everyone, everyone, everyone depends on finding, and finding these asteroids and uh, helping to protect the planet. You also mentioned early about your responsibility to uh, advise the, administer, the administrator, can you talk about that relate, you know, that partnership and, and how that works and, and your responsibilities there? Well, it's, um, it's very exciting. The uh, great thing about uh, uh, NASA is they, they bring in people for the, to, to be the chief technologist and the chief scientist. They bring us in from the outside, outside of NASA in order to bring some fresh ideas to, uh, to the agency. And... Uh, and the access to the leadership here is tremendous. So um, really from, from my role, I'm supposed to take a cross-the-agency look. It's sort of what they call up and out. I should, I should look at technology across the agency as well as outside and be able to, to advise the administrator on uh, where to invest, perhaps where to stop investing, and who we ought to partner with. Now, you mentioned uh, that 
it's important to be to have a perspective outside of NASA. Can you talk a bit about your background uh, and how that's helped you uh, in the work that you're doing now? Oh, sure. Um, I'm a uh, professor at MIT uh, in the Department of Aer Aeronautics and Astronautics, basically aerospace. Mm -hmm. And um, <clears throat> and as such, you know, I've I've have research that has been relevant, and I teach classes that are relevant to the the mission that NASA does. Uh, I've also had uh, spent time as a um, as a member of an Air Force advisory board that would review technology investments that are made throughout the Air Force to help their mission. So, uh, in that sense, I've I've worked on research as well as sort of more advanced develop tracking advanced development of technology. I've also seen how other organizations prioritize their investments, and I'm trying to bring that experience to uh, to NASA. And what is your research area at MIT? Well, um, I'm a uh, dynamics and control professor, so think about that as uh, you know a, a, a cruise control in a car or an autopilot in a plane. That's basically where you want to take a vehicle that behaves in a certain way and use computers and sensors to make it behave in, in a way that you'd like it to behave. I'm also a uh, system engineer, which is which is sort of the short way of saying I I like to think about how pieces get put together and interact with each other. And the application I've mostly applied that to is uh, space telescopes. Mm -hmm. So thinking about, um, you know, large telescopes, like sort of like what's beyond the Hubble Space Telescope, uh, like the James Webb Space Telescope, which is, which is going to be launched here in 2018, is going to be able to see back to the early ignition of stars in our universe. Um, and also, I've worked a lot in the area of the search for planets around other stars. Uh, when I joined that community, I think there were only a handful of them that we knew about outside of our solar system, and now there are thousands. It's a very exciting field to watch that just, you know, explode, basically, in, in, the, in the excitement in it, in the, in the interest, and in how much we're discovering, and how quickly we're approaching being able to find, you know, another Earth-like planet. What are your biggest challenges uh, as chief uh, technologist? I imagine it's difficult to coordinate a range uh, of technologies. Well, you know, it's um, it's always easy to think about what we ought to be working on. Mm -hmm. It's always difficult to 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 actually say what we should not be working on. Uh -huh. <laughs> it's always the, the, the tough decision. You know, it's there's always an opportunity cost when you when you have you know, precious resources that you can spend, you really have to pick and choose. And, uh, you know, all the technologists are working on, on things that are exciting and, and, you know, are near and dear to their heart. But at times you have, to, you have to be able to make those difficult decisions to make sure that we can stay on track with the mission we're trying to, trying to uh, execute. And we were, when we were discussing this earlier, you mentioned roadmaps. Can you talk about that a bit and, and what you mean by that? So roadmaps, we, we actually have like 15 roadmaps. I won't tell you all what they all are. It's ones for aeronautics, ones for landing systems for to land on other planets. Uh, there's a roadmap for power systems. So it's basically it maps the different technologies to the to the missions that they enable. And so we know what the role what what the potential impact of each technology is. This is something that if you go to NASA.gov and do go go to uh, OCT, which is the office for the chief technologist. Uh, you can you can download our roadmaps and see where 
where you might fit in if you're a researcher or if you want to be a researcher, what are the kinds of things we work on. Uh, you can also go to a public uh, website which was just started here in um, beginning of March, which is called TechPort. I think it's techport.nasa.gov, uh, and that's T-E-C-H-P-O-R-T. And you can actually, it's a searchable website. You can uh, go through and say, well, you know, what technology are you working on in propulsion or on guidance systems or on jet engines and things like that. And, and you, can, you can see what we're working on, uh, why we think it's important, who's working on it, and who you might contact if you want to learn more. So this is, this is a very sort of new product that we have that uh, allows the uh, external community, you know, the, the, the public to see what we're working on, how we're spending their dollars, and, um, and find out where they might, might, might like to uh, work with us. Now, you've had the job for almost exactly a year now, is that right? That's right. So I'm, so I'm one year in and I've got one year to go. So I'm at the halfway point. Uh-huh. Now, when you first got the job at the beginning of 2014, uh, did you have specific goals? Uh, yeah, I do uh, have specific goals. It's, it's funny, you know, it's, uh, I'm having a time of my life. It's uh, every day I see 10 things I'd, I'd love to help out with, and then there's another day and there's 10 more things. So uh -huh. it's really one of those, those jobs that you have to pick and choose at what you're going to work on. Now you're at it's halftime now. You're uh, one more year to go. What are you? Uh, what are your goals for the next year? And what are you working on now? Well, uh, one of the things that I have a a big background in is um, the International Space Station. Mm -hmm. With my research up at MIT, uh, I, I've developed a lot of technology laboratories that have flown on shuttle and space station. So uh, with Space Station a few years ago transitioning from the build phase to the utilization phase, um, having been a, a large user of Space Station, I think I have some insights how to, how to make Station more accommodating to, uh, to users, particularly those that want to test technology. So that's an area I'd like to help with. Uh, another, or I am helping with, another is... Um, is uh, well, I grew up watching the uh, Apollo program, and uh, I have a love for uh, human spaceflight, and uh, trying to help uh, uh, NASA figure through the challenges associated with with uh, the human journey to Mars, which is a very exciting one. Uh, Mars is is a much more difficult step than getting to the moon, and the way you might get there is not as as straight a path as you might think. Uh, so there's some interesting challenges to figure out how to how to work on that mission. A third area I'm, I'm trying to help NASA with is the balance between applied research and basic research. Basic research is is think of that as as research for curiosity's sake. So early in the uh, early in the last century, you know, there's the discovered the development of the transistor, and then that went to create the integrated circuit, made the modern computer, and now we can't live without it. Mm -hmm. and, but it's a, it's a long path, and oftentimes there's pressure to, to, to spend that investment in the distant future, called basic research, to help the more near-term needs in applied research. And the problem is, if you do that too much, you sort of eat the seed corn of, of your future. So, so the key is to try to keep that balance so that we're we're focused on the near-term needs, but we also have a vision that, that reaches out to, to the future. Fourth, I, I also have a, have a love for aeronautics. 
Uh, I am... Um, uh, not only do I love to look up at planes when they fly over, I also fly planes, and I have an appreciation for for how uh, what a joy it is to be able to uh, sort of defy gravity and be able to have that view from from above and look down and uh, fly aircraft. They're amazing machines. So um, I I am trying to help uh, NASA try to figure out with other agencies that work on aeronautics, like uh, the Air Force, and how to how to best promote uh, aeronautics in the future. So one of the things that really sort of brought it home for me was going to my first launch. Uh, the, uh, it's, uh, you can watch, you know, I've watched a lot of shuttle launches on TV, and it has, it's nowhere near the same as actually being there live. Sure. The, uh, the difference is, you know, it, being at a launch, it just, it, it saturates all your senses. You know, it's brighter than any TV can show, or, you know, it's, it's in a sense blinding. It's louder than any any audio can sound. Uh, it is. Uh, it actually has a very tactile response. It actually vibrates you as when the launch happens. Uh, if if it's saturating your sense of taste and smell, you're probably standing a little too close to the to the launch. But mm -hmm. uh, but it's something that really changes your life. And I encourage uh, encourage your readers and your and your listeners to uh, to when you get a chance. Uh, Go see a launch. It'll change your life. Well, David Miller, thanks very much for speaking with me. I appreciate it. Sure. My pleasure.